Hey there, are you a spiritual seeker looking for the perfect way to blend your physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental health and well-being practices? Maybe you already have an interest in yoga or astrology or want to learn more about yoga's sister science, Jyotish, or Vedic astrology? Well then, I'm super glad you're here, and I'd like to extend you a very warm welcome to the Yogi Scopes podcast. I'm your host, Rosemary Holbrook. I am a yoga teacher and a Vedic sidereal astrologer, meaning I use the sidereal zodiac, so some of the signs might be different from what you're used to. To get a free copy of your sidereal birth chart, please visit my website, yogiscopes.com chart. Now let's get started. Glad you're here. Hello there. I am going to take things a little bit differently this week. This is going to be a deep dive into relationships and the astrology of relationships and all of that good stuff. As always, ending with um, some just good yoga practices, things to think about. Um, I actually, as I'm starting this recording, I don't have journal prompts right this second, but Maybe I'll come up with some as I speak and think this through uh, out loud because so I'll tell you what's happening this week because I feel like I can't do a podcast episode without telling you what's happening this week, but then I'm going to explain why I chose to do this topic instead of covering the new moon because I almost do, I mean, I almost always do a new moon episode and we're going to have a new moon circle this Sunday, so if you are in the membership, please make sure you RSVP by signing up. The link is, um, I'll send it out to y'all again. Um, but anyway, so I almost always do a new moon episode, but this topic just felt really pressing to me this morning. And the more I dive into it, the more I was like diving into it to create my notes to record the episode, the more I was like, yeah, I really need to talk about this right now, um, and this should be a good, hopefully, standalone episode that you can always come back to because I'm going to talk about like all the different things that can kind of impact relationships in astrology and just some good tools to deal with that stuff because relationships are a really big part of our lives. In fact, I just heard a study, and honestly, like I should have looked it up and put it in my notes, but I didn't look it up. But the gist of the study was that if you are in an unhealthy relationship, um, like a, a partnership, you know, intimate partner relationship, if you're in an unhealthy relationship, the amount of times that your partner used um, sarcasm or contempt in your interactions with each other, um, so the person receiving that sarcasm or contempt the amount of times their partner used that, the person receiving it will have, it, it's a predictor of the amount of times that person will have like illnesses, inflammation, um, you know, like just get sick over the next like month or so. Uh, so and so I didn't, I just heard the study quoted. I didn't read the study myself, but the gist of it was um, cortisol from being in unhealthy relationships impacts our immune system. And so the health of a relationship can predict your health in very real ways because if you're just stressed because you have an unhealthy relationship, it's, it's important. So this is important stuff. There's research behind how much relationships impact 
all the other areas of our lives. And I've been talking about this with Saturn aspecting Venus right now, retrograding Saturn aspecting Venus. That felt like another good reason to bring it up. And so, so I'll get into it in the episode. So if you are listening to it in the future, coming back and listening to it, um, sorry if I'm talking about, um, stuff that's no longer relevant, but I'm going to bring it up as we go along today. So the reason I decided it was okay to not do the new moon episode, even though new and full moons are kind of two of my favorite things in astrology. And I kind of promised, I've promised a few times along the way that I'll always do new moon and full moon episodes. And so the reason I decided not to is because the new moon this week is happening in Leo and the sun. So new moons always happen when the sun is conjunct the moon. So the sun just moved into Leo last week into sidereal Leo. And I did a whole episode covering Leo, last week's sun in Leo, but um, yeah, covering Leo qualities. And so for the membership, I also did a sign-by-sign already talking about Leo and we're going to have the new moon circle. Um, so I feel like there, I have plenty of resources for you related to the new moon. So if you want new moon stuff, go ahead and jump into the membership. If you're not already, if you are in the membership, please make sure you sign up for the new moon circle or catch the recording. Um, and that will be where you can get your new moon resources. And, and because a few of y'all in the membership have told me either directly or in our new fancy group chat thing that we have. So if you haven't, that's another, just another way I, I was trying to think of a way to make, I wanted the membership to be a container of support, not just from me, but from the other members. And I finally found a way to do that. So if you're in the membership, I sent out the link to join that last week and you can let me know if you didn't get it. Um, anyway, we now have a group chat in the membership and also some of you have reached out to me individually and relationships are just top of mind right now. And that makes sense because, um, Rahu and Ketu. So, so this is going to get, I I feel like I need to say why relationships are top, are so top of mind right now, as I explain what the indicators of relationship in astrology are, because there's a lot of indicators of relationship in astrology. And I think if I could sum this whole thing up, if you just listen to this and turn the episode off and don't listen to anything else I say, I want to get the point across that in relationships, in life, in astrology, it's never just one thing. So let me say that again. It's never just any one thing. You know, there can be an instance where it's like, this was the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever. But if you're going through a hard time or like experiencing end of relationship or separation or um, whatever, it's never just one thing that's causing it. And that's, that's to do with the astrology and in life and how we relate to each other. Um, it's never just one thing. It's usually a lot of things, right? And so that's, that was part of my influence to make this episode because somebody kind of reached out to me like, what the hell is going on astrologically, right? And you know, that's the thing that we do often as people interested in astrology is like, or even people that aren't interested in astrology is just the thing that I hear people say like, uh, I, I just saw a Facebook post yesterday of somebody who wasn't into astrology. She was like, was it a full moon or something? Cause today was the most wonderful creative day ever. And I'm like, no, it's almost a new moon. It's not a full moon at all. But so the more we dive into <laughs> these astrology things, the more we can start to understand and put language to what we're experiencing. 
Um, and I think it really helps in that way. So explaining these astrological archetypes uh, that are indicators of relationship, I think can help conceptualize what areas of your life and things perhaps going on in your life are either influencing your relationships in a positive way or a negative way. And when I say relationships, I'm pretty much talking about intimate partner relationships, but this also applies to, I mean, you can, you can take these same frameworks and apply them to any relationship, like your family, your friends, um, you know, colleagues, whatever, kids, you can apply all this stuff to your other relationships, your other support networks. But I am just for the sake of this episode, for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to mostly talk, speak directly to intimate partner relationships. So with that said, let's get into the astrology of relationships, what things in astrology are indicators of relationship. And then along the way, I will talk about what's happening right now that seems to be bringing stuff up for folks. So firstly, just an aside, I'm not talking about synastry and compatibility. And that's what I think I hear most people talk about when they talk about relational astrology. They're, they talk about the the act of doing synastry, which is you take, you look at both charts individually, and then you lay one chart over the other so that the signs match up, so that you can see if people have planets conjunct each other, like, you know, planets in the same sign, different planets or the same planet in the same sign or aspecting each other. And you can just see how the two charts work together. And that is really helpful to do on an individual basis. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that today because I think there's already tons of resources out there about that. And synastry is also something that is really beneficial to do with the help of an astrologer. So if that is something you're interested in getting you and if you've had a birth chart reading and your partner's on board to get a reading, an individual reading for themselves, and then we can do a synastry reading um, together, I'll see if I can come up with some kind of like package for that because it seems like it should be a package deal um, if you wanted to do that, but it would have to be like both of y'all on board. I'm not going to look at your partner's chart without their permission because I just, I feel really strongly about the ethics of that. Um, and then what happens, so this is actually to give you a future sidebar, what we're going to get into, you're better off, and I'm going to explain the research and evidence behind this, you're better off working on those issues with your partner rather than going without your partner to somebody else, even if it's an astrologer, um, to, to vent or complain or what, you know, so sometimes it's helpful to vent outside the relationship. So then you can come back to the relationship and, um, be fully present to work, tackle on the issues, but you have to be really careful if it's a culture more of like, are you venting to somebody else instead of taking these issues to your partner? So if your partner's not willing to come with you, maybe, you know, maybe astrology is not their thing and that's fine. So you don't have to have all the same interests as your partner. My husband is not interested in astrology at all. And here I am kind of building my career around it. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying your partner has to be into all the same things you're into. So synastry and compatibility is one thing. And that's, that's what we look at a lot. And so some of the things they're looking at when they do, when an astrologer does a synastry reading will be these things that I bring up. Um, but also in a synastry reading, we're able to get more 
in depth with the other things that I'm not bringing up that like may not seem directly related to relationships. But let's say, for example, um, I don't know, it's hard to, it's because it's, it almost sometimes feels like everything is related to your intimate partner relationship because it touches all areas of your life, uh, in some ways, right? If you're in a, a long-term committed relationship, if you're not, then I'm not speaking to that, but, um, So let's say the sun. The sun was one planet I did not have planned to bring up today in, like, it's not in my notes to talk about related, how the sun relates to relationships, but the sun, because the sun is very much connected to, like, your individuality, but it, let's say your individuality are, it's just taking you in two completely separate directions, and we could see that by laying your chart over each other, or we could see that, um, Maybe one of you has like a son that's um, super placed well and it and the effect results in like say it makes you an extrovert and the other of you has like a, perhaps a debilitated son which I, I always like I don't really like that word but that's the word that Vedic astrology uses so I'll use it and so maybe it the effect of that is that you're more introverted you don't like to be in the spotlight and but so that's going to impact how you relate to each other. And these are the kind of things we can see in a synastry and compatibility reading. Um, because it's never about like, oh, we have these two sun signs. So this is going to dictate. That's why it's funny to me in Western astrology that the sun, and I'm not even going to, I just said, I'm not even going to bring up the sun because your sun signs don't really matter that much to your synastry and compatibility. They certainly impact how you will relate to each other because how you are as an individual will, how you want to show up in the world will certainly impact how you relate to each other. But there are other qualities that are more directly related. So as always in a one-on-one reading, we can get way more nitty gritty with all of the different energies you have going on. But here's just some ideas. Um, And so the seventh house, this is, I'm going to be threading through what's going on right now along with what I'm talking about. So the seventh house is marriage. So, and by marriage, I mean, it also represents business partnerships. So it's any kind, because in some ways you're kind of married to your business partner. If you start a business with somebody and you have um, like paperwork, it's a contractual partnership. And so in my opinion, this is just something that I have seen play out to be true. I haven't like read this anywhere, but I've seen it play out to be true in readings and in studying other people's charts and and hearing from them. Um, is that when you are like cohabiting with somebody, if you're on a lease together, that from what I've seen activates the seventh house. Um, as well, because so I've heard some astrologers say that like, Oh, if you just never get married, that's a way around if you have like bad karmas or whatever around your seventh house or, or more challenging energies, I should say, around your seventh house. Um, they're like, oh, if you just never get married, you'll be able to avoid those. And I don't think that's true unless you just like never live together. Um, then sure, you probably will avoid some of the harder things coming up. But living together, I think even if you're not married, because you have that contract, you you are on a lease together, even if you're not on a lease together, if you live together, there is this notion of like your lives are 
more contractually, you're more contractually obligated to each other. So to, if you decided to break up tomorrow, it's going to be more of a disentangling than it would be if you didn't live together, didn't have any bills you shared, right? So, so just legally having that paperwork of marriage isn't all that I'm talking about. Um, it's any kind of contractual entanglement, if you will, right? Seventh house that activates the seventh house, which is in, in some ways I also like, if you hear me do the sign by signs in the membership, I always say the seventh house is like other it's, it's how you relate to people. So even if you're not in a relationship, when your seventh house is being activated, you can also think about how you relate to other people. It's, it's your relating. So just FYI to backtrack houses in astrology all represent like an area of life and also a relationship among other things usually also a body part like something in medical astrology um so I'm just going to be bringing up what's relevant here I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna give you a whole rundown of all the houses and all the things um but so then other houses that I think also play a role um sixth house is loss of relationship so Often, um, sometimes people go through a breakup when there's something happening on their sixth house is, is what I've seen. Um, and that's like, I didn't, that one, I didn't just make up that one. I have been told by teachers and things and, and I've also seen it to be true. So sixth house getting activated can cause some loss of relationship, but we're going to get into it. Like it doesn't have to be lost if you don't want it to be lost. Um, we're going to get into towards the end, like what, what things indicate that you should call it quits. Um, and so I'm saying that all of this from a standpoint of, because I think people are, are experiencing shifts in relationships and that's because with Rahu and K2 being in Aries and Libra respectively, K2, it, Libra is the seventh sign. So it has this connection to, um, the seventh house. So it also represents Libra's, we know Libra to be like this diplomat. It's like, you know, Libra is very good at relationships. So with K2, um, transiting Libra, it can be cutting off some relationships right now. And Rahu is transiting Aries, which is the first sign. So it has this connection to the first house, which is self. So we have this self other axis being activated right now from March. It just, they moved there in March of this year, like March 16th or something. Um, and they'll be there until next October, November of next year. So while they're there, um, we have this self and other axis being activated. So it's sending the energy towards self. It's creating this energy where folks want to focus more on themselves um, it's like cutting off from relationship. And so I've also seen for our Libra risings that um, if you are in a relationship and you're a Libra rising, that your partner is needing more support from you right now is what I've seen uh, in a lot of cases. And like cutting away from self and the partners needing more support for our Libras. And so... Um, that's a big part of the energy. And so Libra and Aries are ruled by Mars and Venus. So Venus, as I'm going to get into in a moment, Venus and Mars are also planets that are indicators 
of relationships. So that's just furthering the connection to this big karmic shift around relationships that we're all going through on a subtle level right now. And it's a slow burn. So things happening with Rahu and Ketu, from what I've seen, is a slow burn. It doesn't, it's, it takes sometimes the entirety of the transit, eight, 18 months, so a year and a half for the things to really bubble up. And usually as it, as the transit approaches the end, um, so as they approach moving to another sign, the, um, things really come to a head, but then also with eclipse season. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the eclipse season because the eclipses, because as you know, if you haven't, if you don't know, please go back and listen to the Rahu and K2 special episode that I did. It's, it's title is on this podcast. It's titled the karmic indicators in Vedic astrology. And I think the little subtitle thing, like after the colon is Rahu and K2. Um, but you could search karmic indicators, Vedic astrology or karmic indicators, on this podcast and find it and learn more about Rahu and K2, but they're the eclipse points. Um, and so we will have an eclipse season in starting in October, which is really soon. So August is almost over. We're only about six weeks away from October. And so also October is going to be a big month. So also Saturn will go direct in October, right before we have the solar eclipse in Libra. Um, and then around that same time, Mars will, Mercury will be moving into Libra, uh, which Mercury just kind of enhances energies wherever it goes. So, so it will also be enhancing the energy of K2, cutting of relationships, right? Um, and then around the same time, Mars will be going retrograde in Gemini. So if, um, for example, if Mars is at play in your sort of like relationship stuff, that might be getting brought up then towards the end of October. So this this stuff is all happening like in the last week in October, and I will cover it more as we get there. But I feel like it's important to bring up now because it'll give you agency. It'll give you agency to know this is coming up. Um, what can we do about it now before it happens? That's why I wanted to talk. I was like, I have got plenty of resources out already um, for the new moon. I don't really feel like I need to belabor that point. And I will, in fact, if I get a chance, I'll do another uh, episode for the new moon on Wednesday or Thursday. If I have time, I can record a little shorty or maybe I'll do a Facebook Live in the group on Friday um, for the new moon. I'll try to cover it individually, but for the podcast, I really wanted to go in this direction because I just see it impacting people around me. And I want you to know about this eclipse stuff, um, before it happens. So, um, in, so then that'll be happening on Libra and then there will be another eclipse in Aries. So the full moon, uh, that'll be in November. And then also in November at the same time, Venus will enter Scorpio, which can be a hard time, um, and that'll, that'll be happening around the same time that Mars retrogrades back into Taurus. So again, if, if this Mars in Taurus that's happening right now, which I think for some folks, um, it might be that, that might be the case. Mars and Taurus might be part of this energy. I've seen some folks having some hard times lately. Um, people that have reached out to me, um, so when Mars retrogrades back into Taurus, that's going to just bring it up again. 
and it'll be right around eclipse season and Scorpio is all about getting in the depth. So, so right around end of October, early November, um, might be some, some times of shifting really and really throughout the end of the year, because then Venus will be moving towards Capricorn towards the end of the year where Saturn will still be. So right now what we have is Venus is in Cancer and it's being aspected by a retrograde Saturn. And sorry, if that just seemed really jargony, I'm like, I'm getting there. So, um, I'm going to reiterate as always. Um, so Capricorn has to do with structures and Saturn is retrograding there right now. Well, Venus is over there in Cancer, and I covered this a couple of episodes ago, I think, is Venus is being aspected by a retrograde Saturn, which means probably boundaries and relationships are coming up, um, you know, shifting structures, shifting boundaries, rethinking boundaries in relationship right now, because Venus represents, so let me backtrack even some more. Venus is one is the main planet that represents love in astrology. So most of the time what you will hear is seventh house in Venus. If you want to know about love in your birth chart, look to your seventh house and your Venus placements, right? Like those are the first places you would look. Um, and is your Venus doing well? What does that mean, right? Like if your Venus is doing well. Um, so for example, right now Venus is in Cancer, so it's just you apply the energy of what Venus means, which in a word is love and relationships. That's, that was two words, sorry. Um, and the, what Cancer means, which is very much like nurturing, but Cancer has this like boundaries archetype to it because the crab, you know, um, Cancer's like it's can, can be closed off like a crab has a hard shell, right? But it's soft in the middle. So, um yeah, so that's why I say that Venus is bringing up boundaries in love. And it's being activated also because K2 is in a Venus-ruled sign. So Venus right now is even being um, impacted some more. Or we might be feeling like we're getting cut off from, from relationships, from those things. Um, so that's, that's one of the main energies going on. And so my whole intention for this episode is to kind of answer the question, like what's going on astrologically. It's stirring up all this shit in relationships for people right now, because if that hasn't been your experience, you probably haven't made it this far in the episode, but if it hasn't been your experience, um, you can always, you know, join the Facebook group for free or join the membership to have that group text direct line access to me. Um, so you can like message me and be like, and not just me. It's not just me you're messaging. You're messaging all the other folks in the in the membership who also by this point know a decent amount of, about astrology. And they're all just really supportive and sweet. Like all the members are super awesome. So um, yeah, so that's the container for that if you want to talk about what your experience is, whether this is your experience or not. Um, so Venus, for this is just, I'm just going to tell you what I've been taught. And then I'm going to tell you my interpretation of it. Um, so Venus is where you would look in a man, a heterosexual man's chart to indicate his wife, right? And in a heterosexual sexual woman's chart to indicate the husband, 
you would look to Jupiter. And that's just the rules, right? Like that's, um, which I have somewhat seen to be true because somebody I know, a guy, his, his partner, who's a, a girl, um, his Venus is in his partner's rising sign. And that doesn't mean like that where you're, and my husband's rising is where my Jupiter is placed. Um, and so that doesn't mean that, um, if your Venus or Jupiter is placed somewhere else that, um, that your partner is not meant for you or whatever. It's just, it's just a nice little synchronicity when that happens. It's just, it's just nice. You know, it doesn't mean that if you don't have that, if you and your partner don't share those, uh, sinistry details, you could have plenty of other good ones. Right. Um, so sometimes it happens that way. Like also, for example, um, this is just another example of this and I'm going to bring up the fifth house in a moment. So the fifth house represents children and I have Gemini in my fifth house and my husband is a Gemini moon and we had children together. So that's just another like thing, another just, so this is why you would get a sensory reading because we could pick apart all this stuff and you wouldn't have to be like, oh, well, we don't have those things. So does that mean it's not meant to be? No, not necessarily. Right. Um, but then also, yeah, and so my husband has Aquarius in the fifth house, and I am an Aquarius rising. So these are just some things of our chart where you could look to see if you have these little synchronicities of, like, if who you have your children together has a placement in whatever placement, you know, sign you have in your fifth house, for example. Um, but then so Mars is the planet that is the signifier for partners for folks who are anything other than heterosexual, right? So like anybody in the LGBTQ plus community, if you are, um, you know, non-binary, in a pansexual relationship, in um, perhaps a non-monogamous relationship, anything other than heteronormative, you would look to Mars, and so that's interesting to me. That's why I also say that um, uh, when Mars goes retrograde, it might bring up more relationship stuff, not only because of that fact, because Mars represents any kind of other, anything other than what's heteronormative, you would look to Mars. Um, I think I think also that because, because Rahu is in a Mars ruled sign, it will just also, when Mars goes retrograde, it might be a time where we're like, I don't know. I think what I've seen with Mar with Rahu being in, in Aries is like a lot of people are wanting to focus on themselves. And when Mars goes retrograde, it might even be more so of a time of like restructuring how you focus on yourself, which could look like the loss of relationship for some folks. Um, it could look like other things. I'm not saying that's, that's going to be the, the only thing that comes up. Um, but so those would be three major planets to look to in your chart, look to what signs they're in, kind of what archetypes those signs represent. Um, if they're mostly transit. So when you start going through some stuff in relationship, you're not going to be looking so much at your actual birth chart. You're going to be looking at how the current movements of the planets are hitting your birth chart. So, um, for somebody that recently asked me, about why she was going through a hard time in a relationship. I was like, well, Mars is transiting your sixth house, which is, can be loss of relationship. Um, 
So that's just one example, but there are lots of examples. And if I've gotten really tangenty and jargony, I apologize because this is a lot of stuff. I'm going to recap it at the end. I always do. I always go through, like I have my notes and I go on tangents intentionally because that's where, you know, some fun stuff comes up. But then I will always recap it with what I want to communicate, what I want to get across as what's most important. And the tangents were just a way to hopefully help illustrate it along the way, right? And then so other houses that I think are important for relationships and Keep in mind, I'm talking specifically to these contractual type relationships where you live together, right? Or are married or whatever the case is, cohabiting, like where if you were to break up, it's more of a disentanglement than just we're just going to stop seeing each other, right? Um, because if you, if it's a, if it's this new relationship or whatever, you don't have any kind of like anything together, um, you can just stop seeing each other and that's it. Right. But if you have a house together or um, you share a phone bill or something, you know what I mean? Like you can't just stop seeing each other. You have to like talk through those things. So these are the kind of relationships I'm talking about. So you might also look to fourth house and fifth house because the fourth house is home. So if you have a home together, stuff happening on the fourth house can certainly impact your relationship because your relationship is at home. Right. Like if you live together anything happening over your fourth house is going to impact how you relate to your partner that you live with. Um, and then fifth house, if you have kids together, so maybe you don't even have, maybe you don't even live together. Maybe this is like a, a baby mama, baby daddy situation. You have kids together, but you no longer live together or never did live together. Um, fifth house is kids. So if you have kids together or you raise, or you're raising kids together, maybe your partner has kids. Um, if, you or your partner have something going on in the fifth house, making the kids a little more spicy or whatever, that can certainly impact your relationship, right? Because if your kids are going through a stressful time, that puts stress on the parents, whether they're biological parents, whether they're in a relationship, whether they're just raising the kids together, you know, kids impact relationships if you are the ones taking care of those kids. Whether you, you know, all other factors aside, right? Did I hope that makes sense, right? Like, I hope I am doing justice to the somewhat heteronormative um, way this is set up to talk about just Venus and Jupiter for husband and wife and that kind of stuff. And I hope I'm like doing justice to how you can see other situations that might play out if you know what I mean, if you're not legally married, because I, we have all these other situations are very ubiquitous in our culture. Like we have a lot of people that co-parent and a lot of people that, um, you know, raise stepkids and, you know, so stuff like that. So these situations are important to relationships, right? Um, it's not just all about Venus in the seventh house. There are way more other things that we could see um, impacting relationships. And then so another transit that I think so, and just FYI, also to be clear, transits, when I say transit, I mean like where the planets are moving now. Um, so another transit that can impact um, relationships is Sadi Sati. And I'll explain what that is. Sadi Sati is when Saturn transits your natal moon. And so it it means seven and a half. That's what Sadi Sati means in Sanskrit. Um, when Saturn transits your natal moon, it 
creates this sense of isolation is the overwhelming feeling, I think. Um, and this can be real or perceived isolation. Maybe you really are isolated, but it can also create a sense of perceived isolation where you just feel alone. Maybe you feel like your partner doesn't see you and maybe they truly don't. Um, but so it's, it's important to note that it can be real or perceived. So sometimes we need to look at, is that what, what's really happening or is that what we're perceiving? Um, so that can be an implication of Sadi Sati where, it's the seven and a half years because Saturn takes two and a half years to transit a sign. So it's the seven and a half years from when Saturn's in the sign before your moon until it transits over your moon and then when it's in the sign after your moon. And this is also important because I think, this is just something I think, this is just my opinion, but I'm if you're here listening to me as an astrologer, you probably at least somewhat value my opinion. Um, this is just something I've seen. So the moon, Saturn stays in the sign for two and a half years. It's been in Capricorn since the beginning of 2020. Um, and it will finally move into Aquarius in January of 2023. Finally, like it, it kind of retrogrades and moves back and forth a few times, but, um, it pretty much stays there for a long time. So it's been in Capricorn for a hot minute now, but the moon moves through every single one of the signs every single month. So there can be this isn't the technical term, but it's what I'm going to call it. Um, there can be these little like mini Sadi Satis every month. So it's not, that's not what it is. It's not a mini Sadi Sati, but it can bring up if, if your moon, if the moon is transiting your natal Saturn, you might experience. So that's just like I said, I think on the last episode that it's really easy to get in the weeds with these like shorter things like the moon but if you're like what is going on today like if you have a day where you just really feel isolated really feel like um you're you're not being heard then perhaps Saturn is or your moon the moon is transiting your natal Saturn over those couple of days um so that might not be a good time to bring up issues for example um and so that's a big one if you're in your Sadi Sati. So you you are in your Sadi Sati if you are a Sagittarius. You're almost out of it if you're Sagittarius, moon. You're almost out of the peak of it, but that's where it might get the hardest if you are a Capricorn moon. And you are almost into the peak of it if you are an Aquarius moon. And if you're a Pisces moon, you will be starting it, your Sadi Sati, next year. So for those four signs, um, you're somewhere either almost finished with or almost about to start or moving through the peak of your Sati Sati. And the peak would be the time while Saturn is over your moon and that can cause real senses of isolation. So there are ways we can mitigate that. This is not the episode to talk about Saturn and the Sati Sati, but that brings me back to what's happening right now. So let me recap the things that you can look to in astrology um, for relationships and potential issues, right? Like that's what we wouldn't just be looking at it. If it's fine, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, so places where things might come up, um, in relationship are looking to Venus, Mars, and Jupiter, those three sp planets specifically. Um, and then the houses where I think, in my opinion, if you have tougher transits going on over any one of these houses, it can certainly impact your relationship and tougher transits. I mean, things like Mars retrograde can be a tougher transit. Things like, um, 
Rahu and K2 being there, especially. Um, so, and then, so, so the houses are seventh house, which is marriage and any kind of contractual partnership. So also business partnerships, sixth house, which can be loss of relationship, but it's also your day to day. So sixth house is like, if, if you are in a big long-term relationship, this person is going to be a large part of your day to day life. I hope. Um, and if they start kind of slipping away from that, that can cause trouble. Right. Um, and then fourth house of home, if you have a home together, and then fifth house of children, if you have children together. Um, so anything kind of happening over those houses are going to have huge impacts on the relationship. And then like I was mentioning earlier, like anything can and probably does to some degree impact the relationship. Um, but that would be the kind of thing we'd have to go over in a synastry reading um, or in an individual reading if you just want to look at your rolling it. So things that are coming up now that, um, that I think are why a lot of folks are experiencing kind of trouble in relationships, shifting patterns in relationships, perhaps even loss of relationship is, um, all year, like I mentioned, Rahu and K2 are bringing this sort of collective reckoning around relationships. And I think the tendency of this reckoning is more focused on the self, which is cutting away from relationships. A lot, of, you know, so to some degree, we always need to focus on ourselves. We always need to make sure our own needs are met, but we need to do so in a way that's not selfish if we want to preserve relationships. Um, and we need to also be skilled at asking for what we need if we feel like our partner is the one being the selfish one, um, which is very possible that they are, right? But um, what's going to be more productive is a framework I'm about to get to in a moment, um, a way of asking for what you need. Um, and then Venus being aspected by retrograde Saturn right now. Um, and so let me just get the dates for you real quick. So Venus moved into Cancer on August 6th and it will move into Leo on um, August 31st. So next week was like next Wednesday, August 31st is. Um, Venus will move on, so it will no longer be being aspected by um, that re retrograde Saturn. So it might be kind of an intense time right now um, with Venus being, you know, it might be an intense time of shifting in relationships right now. That's that's kind of one of the main culprits, I think, for folks that are experiencing changing in the structures of their relationship that could look like um, breaking up, honestly, you know, like, um, and then or like wanting to, but that they can also be, if you don't want to break up, it can also be a time to shift how you approach it. Like how are your habits? Um, because also Capricorn and Cancer are on this 410 axis. So the, the home and career kind of things being brought up, um, related to, Venus in Cancer and, and Cap so it's like you might be restructuring your home life and relation to career um, with that transit, but it'll be over next week. And then um, this week on Wednesday, so on the 24th of August, Uranus will retrograde. And I think, I suspect that it, I didn't actually look this up. Um, but I suspect that it will conjoin Rahu again. 
Okay, no, that's a lie. I just went and paused the audio and went and looked it up. And because I was like, no, I need to look this up because in my head I was like, well, Rahu also, FYI, if you forgot about this, Rahu also always moves retrograde. It doesn't go direct. It moves backwards through the sky compared to other all the other planets. So does K2. Um, and Uranus is much more slowly moving. So it will not conjoin Rahu again. I actually looked up when it does. And that is um, May 17th of 2104. So like 80 years from now or something. Um, is when it will conjoin Rahu again. So no worries about that. But the reason I bring that up is because I sent out in the newsletter last week, in my email newsletter, I really went down the rabbit hole explaining Uranus retrograde and how I didn't think it was going to change anything necessarily. Like, it's not going to change the energy that we already have going on. It's just going to add fuel to the fire of this Rahu stuff that I've been talking about, among other things. So, um, so yeah, join the newsletter if you want that or go read it, go find it in your inbox if you missed it, or you can email me and ask and I'll forward it on to you if it, you know, it's, you know, you're not going to get it if you sign up for my newsletter now, but if you just email me rosemary at com, I can certainly forward that to you where I did a deep dive into what I think will happen with Uranus retrograde, but just suffice it to say in a sentence that I think it's only going to add fuel to the fire of what Rahu has going on, even though they're not going to conjoin. And if anything happened for you with the recent conjunction, I think this retrograde will be a time that it will start playing out. We'll start seeing more shifts. Um, but I don't think it's going to change the current energy. I think it's only going to add to it. So everything I've already said is just going to add to it. And then that eclipse season coming up that I mentioned earlier, we're going to see probably also more shifts in relationships. So the reason I bring this up now, the reason I was like, I have to talk about this episode today instead of the new moon, um, is I wanted to give you that forewarning before, so that you can be laying the groundwork now before the, the intensity of the eclipse season comes up, um, if there is anything, any like sort of old skeletons in the closet that you want to work through type stuff. Um, so just a quick recap before I get into, I guess sort of, I, I, I'm going to, this is a stretch, but I'm going to call it the yoga practices for this episode. Um, so quick recap, synastry and compatibility in astrology. It's about more than if you fit together. It's about more than just if your chart. So you can do a synastry reading where you lay your charts over each other and you see what you have in common, what the energy energies are going to be that impact how you relate to each other just based on who you are as individuals. But it's about more than that because that's why it's like, it's about more than your sun sign. It's about any more than any one aspect of your individual personalities, your individual karmas. It's about how you continually re relate to each other on a regular basis. And when things come up in life, like harder situations in life, how do you, you can look back to that synastry reading um, to know what your strengths and weaknesses are as a couple and, and how you can strengthen those weaknesses and lean into the strengths in those harder times. Um, but it's going to be about more than just the start of the relationship, right? It's going to be about how you continually use your skills and lean into your strengths. Um, fifth house is also strengths, by the way, past life merits, um, to, to really benefit the relationship as its own separate entity, right? And then, so the houses you might look to for tougher things going on would be seventh house, sixth house, fourth house, 
and fifth house. Um, and I think in that, like I wrote those down in that order for a reason. Um, and then the planets, Venus is just love in general. So I think Venus for what's going on with your relationships can apply to everybody. And then Jupiter also for like your husband, if you're a heterosexual woman, Venus for your wife, if you're a heterosexual male, Mars, if you have any kind of anything else going on, if you're not binary, um, have any kind of non-traditional, I use air quotes, um, non-heteronormative relationship Mars. But I think also even for people in heteronormative relationships, that's why I'm saying Mars retrograde is going to, Mars retrograde as it comes later this year is going to impact it. So what are the, um, so then another point I wanted to make, this is never just one thing, right? That's a lot of things I just listed off to you astrologically or in life. It's never just one thing that impacts our relationships. Um, and then my other point is get the skeletons out of the closet now before eclipse season comes up. So it's going to be a long haul, right? Or not. Um, so maybe, maybe you did just go through the ending of a relationship or you are going through that now. Um, and that might be the best decision, right? I'm not trying to make a value judgment on that without any further context. Um, this upcoming eclipse season can also be a time to get the skeletons out related to any kind of like trauma you might have related to that relationship or just like, so you don't carry the stuff of a re whatever relationship that might be ending into future relationships if those are on the table for you, right? Like, um, so the most important framework I want to bring up in putting this stuff into practice, into relating is the Gottman framework. Um, and this, this is just I statements. Like this is all, this is pervasive in like therapy and stuff communities, Using I statements, a really good framework for using I statements is I blank feel. So this is the framework and then I'll explain it. I blank feeling when blank situation and I need what's a positive need. So instead of saying, you always leave the kitchen a mess um, to your partner, that's not going to get them to like clean the kitchen more. That's going to piss them off, Right. And they're going to feel attacked and they're going to get defensive. So um, if you say more like, the, if the situation is the kitchen's a mess, how do you feel about that? How do you feel when your partner always leaves the kitchen a mess? Does it stress you out? Okay, whatever it is. Does it make you feel um, unseen because you're always cleaning the kitchen and they're just coming in and messing it up? So whatever the feeling is, I feel unseen or stressed out when the kitchen's a mess and I need you to clean the kitchen more often, not I need you to quit leaving it a mess. You don't say what you need them to stop doing. Just like when we set intentions in yoga, you don't focus on what you don't want. You focus, you think, think through. And if you don't have the answer immediately, then maybe think through it some more before you bring it up. Um, so what is your positive need what is it that you need from them because in my experience most of the time if you're in a committed committed relationship with folks like you want to please each other right like uh, somewhere deep in within the each of you in the relationship is this want to be happy and make the other one happy so if you ask directly for what it is you need and set not what you need them to stop doing ask what you need them to do instead um then 
you'll get your needs met, right? Like most, most of the time, a lot of time, we are not very good at asking for what we need because we're too busy asking for what we don't need, right? Um, so that's the framework. And because this episode has already gotten like super long, I'm not going to ramble anymore about the Gottman framework I had planned to, um, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to point you to look up the Gottman Institute, um, find, you can search podcast episodes uh, where they've been interviewed. They've been interviewed on Brene Brown. That's one of my favorite ones. Um, but if you can just take this framework of I, instead of saying, you always leave the kitchen a mess. Like, say, I feel unappreciated for all the times I clean the kitchen when you leave it a mess. And I need you to pay a little more attention. Or I need you to say thank you to me. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you don't mind cleaning the kitchen after them. Maybe you just want to be thanked. You know what I mean? So before you bring an issue to your partner is what I'm saying is try to really think through this framework. Um and try to say things in that way because it's a practice. And so that's why I'm saying it's this is a yoga practice because um, I actually just re-listened to one of the Gottman Institute episodes because I knew this is the framework I wanted to bring to you and where they talk about the four horsemen um, and how to stop them. And then I'll also, I'll try to post about this in the Facebook group um, so that you can have some more resources to think about it. Um but in that episode, they kind of pointed to like how to better exist in relationships comes back to mindfulness and being in connection with your own soul, being in connection with your own needs, um, because it's it's hard to use I statements if you're disconnected from what you need and what, what your soul is asking for, right? Like you need to kind of have that stuff in check on your own before you come to the relationship asking the relationship for those things, right? Um, so I hope that all makes sense. I, I'm, thanks for sticking around to the end if you did. I hope, you know, if you had to pause and um, listen in a couple bouts, I'm glad you're here. And please let me know how I can support you any amount more related to this. Sit with it, re-listen to it if you need to, because I covered a lot of ground in this episode. And uh, don't forget about the New Moon Circle on Sunday. So join the membership or sign up in the membership before then. Um, and thank y'all for being here. If you do want a reading to go more in depth in your own chart and go more in depth with how you relate, um, an individual reading could be good for that. But then if your partner's down and y'all want to do a synastry reading, um, we could certainly could, but we would do individual readings first just because like I said, it helps to know yourselves before you come to the relationship and try to know the relationship as its own entity. And then as always, you know, just keep practicing yoga because that's the mindfulness piece, right? Like I can't be a relationship, a couples therapist for you. You can go to th couples therapy, you can go to therapy, but a lot of times in therapy, they're like, practice yoga, do mindfulness. And so just to have that regular practice, that's the container I've created in the membership. So I hope you join us. I hope to see y'all in the new moon circle, um, or in our group text with this beautiful container of support we are creating. So thanks so much for being here. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care, friends. Mm -hmm.